You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Welcome to episode 99 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And uh, my order from Kiki's Delivery Service was supposed to arrive only yesterday, but it was misdelivered to Howl's Moving Castle. Well, I hope you can catch it to find it. <laughs> and tentacles. No. no t- <laughs> and we're here. <laughs> Is it an order of tentacles? Such <laughs> That's my tentacle noise. <laughs> Why does your tentacle have a mouth? You obviously have not watched the same kind of animes that I've watched. That is entirely true, based on this week. It's from the Jensen Collection. And those are definitely (laughs) not the sort of anime we're talking about this week. We're talking about the uh, classic films from Japan's Pixar studio, Studio Ghibli. Yes. We we went back and watched uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, and Howl's Moving Castle uh, for then and now. And I have to admit, Nausicaa was made a lot earlier than I originally remembered. Yeah, uh, it uh, came out when 1984, I believe. Yeah, so I have to admit that I've never ever heard of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Well, and it's technically not a Studio Ghibli film because it was uh, produced and released before the studio was officially founded. Though uh, when it was re-released here through Walt Disney in the U.S., uh, it had the Studio Ghibli logo on it, so it's kind of considered the first of the Studio Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. But it is uh, Miyazaki. Yeah, I was, about, like, I was about to say it was probably what was it made by the same people that made Ghibli? Yeah, yes, yeah, Miyazaki, who is like I'm trying to who's the big producer from uh, Pixar? Uh, oh shit! His name all of a sudden. Yeah, same here. Weinstein? No, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> I don't know. Harvey I'm randomly throwing out names. I'm like, uh, I like, like to make the movies for kids. Harvey Weinstein. John, okay, John Lasseter. John Lasseter. Thank you. Oh, okay. That's, oh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, him too. Okay, did so we, get it? we did. We did. We can go on now. Okay. You know, and uh, Margaret, and Canfield. You know who uh, is responsible for producing high quality podcasts? Forty foot chicken. No, I was actually going to go with uh, the Musings of a Geek podcast network. Mark Maron. Them too. <laughs> Mark Maron. <laughs> Thanks. Not, well, not found. Uh, That's awesome. Mark- now I have coffee in my sinuses. <laughs> you will not find uh, WTF by Mark Maron on the Musings of a Geek podcast network, but you will find such shows as Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks. Uh, best of the Worst Movie Podcast. Uh, the Bearded who, Ones. Who the What Now? And dum dum dum, the left field sports lounge. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. I really hope those guys are making shows because at this point, I think they've been a punchline longer than they've been a podcast. <laughs> well, we've been we we've been uh, pimping their show every week for like eight months now, and for the past three months, we've known that they haven't even been in operation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that we know of, we're not sure. Well, wait, they have a they have something on Podbean. Is it new? Uh, I am looking at the date. That came out of left field. Ah, uh, like a sports lounge. Like yeah. a wrecking ball. Uh, it looks like the last one was the rap battle show, which uh, I think was a ways... 2015. Ways back. Yeah, it must have been a hell of a battle. Rap battle 15. It was a battle that destroyed them. <laughs> it was mutually assured destruction rap battle. <laughs> rap battle risk. All right, so anyway. and, yeah, as we as we drift off, this is what happens when we're like well rested and just woke up. Yeah, we're doing uh, another one of our uh, morning shows. This uh, episode is going to actually premiere the week we're all going to be at Gen Con in the future. But we're coming to you from the past. <laughs> yes, and if you'd Why like you to call look, any voicemails. And if you'd like to look at our past, you can check out our archives on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe. If you'd like to talk about our future, you can call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at 40go14 or email us at 40go14 at gmail.com. And let's say that you're looking for a bit of nostalgia on a Saturday afternoon about noon o'clock. Yes. Well, if you tune your dial on the internet to Geek Life Radio, you'll hear us every Saturday at noon. 
That is exactly well, what, what if you your internet do. doesn't have dials? Uh, then download some. Oh, I'm going to look for an app. I'll be back. All right. He, he, he went off to go get some mozzarella sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always think that too, Pat. <laughs> All right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, because this show is hot on the heels of the show that we actually recorded uh, in time. We, we're doing two shows a week to make up for the fact we'll be gone for Gen Con. Uh, we don't actually have a whole lot of listener feedback. Uh, exactly zero, actually. <laughs> yes. Don't worry, Charlie is probably stalking us right now. We'll count that as feedback. But so that said, I believe it's about that time. I think it is about that time. This weekend... Music. Movies. <laughs> and TV. And sports. <laughs> I can hear your little pre-laugh knowing that it was coming. <laughs> I even said. warned you guys I dug that out of the vaults. That's yep. awesome. I know. I was excited. That's why I got started giggling because I've been in. I was smiling because I knew Joel was smiling. And then and then you hear Joel in the background going, <laughs> <laughs> Well, how did I turn into Peter Griffin? <laughs> I thought you were more like Joey Tribbiani on that one. You're just like, <laughs> all so excited. This, this weekend we're doing the year 1984. 1984. Yes. Uh, 1984, the year uh, Nasca first came out. And uh, music. Prince's When Doves Cry finishes its five-week stint, only to be knocked off by Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters. I see a trend here. I'm sure he was just totally pleased as punch at that, too. Yeah, <laughs> they knocked it off by what? <laughs> and it would never exactly happen again. a solid song, but the movie was so good it didn't matter. Right? Oh. Purple Rain? No, no. Ghostbusters. No, no, no. Ghostbusters. Okay. Yeah, because when, when Doves, Doves cried, cried, a great song. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing song. Well, weird, weird video. So, well, yeah, it's but Prince, it's Prince. So. So. Also, keeping on the Prince theme, uh, Purple Rain's album uh, goes to number one. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Purple Rain's the movie. Prince. Oh, Damn it, that yeah. makes sense. No, Prince's Purple Rain's album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't make sense like that, but when you just say Purple Rain, yeah, damn it, now I'm sad, because that makes sense. You should That's be. That's a sad panda. Well, either way, that album went to uh, number one and stayed there for 24 weeks. I don't doubt it. It's a great record. <clears throat> it yeah, you can actually play the album three times in its entirety in 24 weeks. Just a little bit of truth. <laughs> That is uh, well, with some of his about. songs. It's, some of Prince's songs are like Charlie's uh, uh, voicemails, where you're like, "Is it over? <laughs> I don't know. Is there? Do you hear music? It's kind of like sex with Prince. Is it over? Did it start? And we're, and we're here. <laughs> All right. So uh, August 9th, Iron Maiden kicks off the World Slavery Tour in Warsaw, Poland, and shows in uh, Hungary and Yugoslavia soon to follow, marking the first time a Western band has ever brought a full concert production behind the Iron Curtain. And they went, damn! <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, this is what's going on over there? Yeah. What What? What have they been telling us? <laughs> Tear down this wall. <laughs> and then on uh, August 10th, the Red Hot Chili Peppers release their debut album, The Red Hot Chili Peppers. There you um, go. August 10th. Temporal, like, he didn't well. want to put eponymous again, because we didn't want to go through that. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I, said it, I said it at the beginning. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I'm laughing at the eponymous callback. <laughs> That's a good callback. Yeah. It's a pretty sturdy loop. It's pretty sturdy. Um, uh, movies. Sadly, the world lost an icon uh, this week. Uh, Richard Burton pushed the little daisies and made them come up on August 5th. Aww. No, Patrick does a great Richard Burton impersonation. <laughs> oh, it's that like, was spot on, dude. It's like Thanks. he's here. <laughs> And keeping in with the theme, I Ain't Afraid No Ghost, Ghostbusters was number one at the box office after retaking the spot from Purple Rain. Which I I looked through the week (laughs) before, and it had nine total weeks at number one, and this was the last, the week before that was the only week it wasn't when Purple Rain took it over, which I thought was kind of interesting with the the music part. Yeah. Tied in nicely. I know, and then, because they call, you mentioned that call, Hello Prince, yeah, your song got knocked off number one by what? Ghostbusters. By what? What? <laughs> okay, okay. And they hang up and they get the movie thing. Hey, Prince, your, your, your movie? <laughs> Motherfucker. So, you guys uh, see that they released a couple of pictures from the new remake of the Ghostbusters? Yeah, I yeah. saw some of the all-female cast. Yep. Nah. I, I'm, uh, I, I don't want to say I'm cautiously optimistic because yep. Ghostbusters 2. Absolutely. I'm, and I, I like the character designs. 
I'm looking forward. I'm to apprehensive, it. is what I'll say. I'm not going to pass judgment until I see it, but I'm apprehensive. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of Paul Fig stuff has been really good. So yeah, agreed. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you come home and the wife says, "Hey, I changed up the recipe on my meatloaf," and you're like, "Oh, good." <laughs> I, I I liked it. I mean, it, a lot of it is honestly going to depend on on how much they let Melissa McCarthy take over the screen. It's kind of like you know the Jim Carrey factor. Mm-hmm. Yep. So long as she is tightly controlled and doesn't go to very very simple slapstick comedy or haha I'm fat comedy, <laughs> um, right. she's actually very competent. She was great in like so. This is forty. Yeah. Or if they don't just turn her into a you know a crazy sex pot, you know. But right. yeah, Chris Hemsworth so there's a, there's versus a, things that they do too much with her. It's too much slapstick or too much like you know I'm you know yeah it's, it's either let's let's only talk about how I'm big or let's let's like pretend I'm not big or the you know and it's weird. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth versus Annie Potts. I mean, well Annie Potts was much better at Thor. I mean, let's <laughs> that's a good point. I didn't think about that. I've got the weirdest boner right now. <laughs> All right. So anyway, also on the top ten, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, and the acronym of the week, which is I J A T T O D. Yeah, that's uh, I jumped at the tonsils of demons. <laughs> um, How did they get that greenlit? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> and who knew? Who knew that demons had tonsils? Well, I know, right? Well, you got to jump. Have surgery, they get to eat ice cream. They're, they're, yeah, they're pretty high up, so you got evil jump to ice get cream. <laughs> That movie was phenomenal. So the ice cream is cursed. (laughs) Frogert. Um, Okay, so what's the what is the acronym? Okay, that's obviously Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Very good. All right, and a little bit further down the list, Joel found the joy of sex. It was a number nine, so it made the top ten. <laughs> it says it was a good time to be alive, unless you're Prince. <laughs> hey, Prince, you want to go see a movie? What do you want to see? Let's <laughs> Ghostbusters. Just get out! No. <laughs> I want to see the one about the demon tonsils. <laughs> so he to Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, he did a little bit. So TV, the or top. Richard Burton. <laughs> top four shows were Dallas, Sixty Minutes, Dynasty, and The A Team. Could you imagine lineup. a crossover? 60 Minutes in the A-Team? All of them. <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> Dallas in the A-Team. I say that Negro's got a gun. B.A. Baracus. <laughs> Who shot JR? Yeah, I was going to say B.A. Baracus shot JR. <laughs> I love yeah, that, it. It'd be a much shorter show. Who shot JR? Obviously that guy. <laughs> and Andy Rooney's... Andy Rooney spends a half an hour trying to kick Mr. T off the show. You know what drives me nuts? Mohawks. <laughs> Multiple gold chains. They're using... When plans don't come together. They're using fruit as a weapon. I don't... <laughs> uh, so uh, on July 30th, the soap opera Santa Barbara debuted on NBC. I actually watched quite a bit of Santa Barbara. Really? Yeah, it uh, had uh, AA... No... Yeah, AA what? AA Baracus? Oh no, there was the AA uh, Baracus. My name. AA <laughs> Milney, isn't it? Isn't Not that the a. name? Only. Hello, Baracus. That's the English author. I know. I was just seeing if you were going to play along. Oh man, I'm just AA Baracus. He's like standing. I'm Mr. T. And I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, no, well, oh, A. Martinez. Not A. A. Martinez. So they had just A. So Martinez just, on there? Doesn't matter which one? Just All right, yeah, so... He was on L.A. Law. I mean, am I the only person that remembers that? A. Martinez. I watched uh, L.A. Law. I know a Martinez. Uh, what was it? What was his name? I, I got the donuts. Uh, <laughs> dark man? Dark man? Got donuts, dog man. Dog man? <laughs> dog man? <laughs> Dark man. Not dog man, dark man. I got donuts, dog man. <laughs> also, uh, Robin Wright was uh, a major character on Santa Barbara, if I recall. Oh, yeah. I like her. But back to the death. Richard Deacon, American actor who played Fred Rutherford on Leave It to Be There. Be there. <laughs> Leave it to be there. He's in California. <laughs> California. <laughs> I'm getting to that before you guys start up on me. All right. <laughs> He was on Leave It to Beaver, and Mel Cooley on the Dick Van Dyke Show died on August eighth at sixty-three years. That was pretty wow. young, man. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of sad. Pretty funny guy too, by the way. Pretty funny, pretty funny guy. I don't know if you guys remember him. But pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, I do. Fred Rutherford or Mel Cooley? Either. <laughs> 
I loved him as Melkoli. It was a great character. He was a deacon of hope to all. A deacon of hope? Yeah, the yeah. actor's name was Richard Deacon. Oh, okay. He was going with that. That's what he was doing there. At least yeah. he didn't make a Sherman. I like to do things. I thought you were going to make a Sherman Helmsley joke. <laughs> Had I'm not moving on up there. Okay. That was the worst Sherman Hemsley impersonation I've ever heard in my life. I was he about to do anything like a cricket. <laughs> All right. Well, so. he does now. Sport! <laughs> the 23rd Summer Olympics starts on July 29th. And during this time, the U.S. men's gymnastics team won uh, a team gold medal at the L.A. Summer Olympics on July 31st. On uh, August 5th, Carl Lewis wins a gold medal in the 100-meter dash at the L.A. Summer Olympics. For what was his time? Did I know that? Really, really fast. I just want to say L.A. Summer Olympics again, because it's in there like six times. It is. Well, what yeah, was I mean, his time? I don't know. I blame my editor. Basically, the Summer Olympics and Ghostbusters were like American culture for these couple of weeks. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That's yep, all. I mean, how do you that. compete with that? Well, obviously, well, you, don't, uh, you don't listen to Purple Rain. All your life, if you want to compete at the Summer Olympics. Well, now I want to walk, go watch Goonies and Ghostbusters. 84 was an awesome year for movies. It really was. It really was, yeah. So, all right. Hey, music. But on to the main right. show, Studio Ghibli. Yep. All right. So we watched Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, which originally came out in 1984, um, was remade a couple times. Uh, we had a uh, 90 or 85. Uh, they made a 95 minute English dubbed version of it and re- renamed it uh, Warriors of the Wind. Which is so oh. weird that they would do that and try to like take the theme, uh, take the uh, thunder away from Nausicaa. Because one of the things that characterizes Studio Ghibli films is that there's almost always a strong girl protagonist. And we'll see that in both of the ones we're talking about here. Mm. And you don't see that at all anywhere. You've basically got Disney princess movies and Studio Ghibli films are the only ones where you've got female like girls as main characters. Yeah. Unless you go to horror movies, but that doesn't count. Well, they um they released it under this uh Warriors of the Wind. Now they again, like you'd said, Josh, they threw Nosca to the very back of it. Uh the image itself, the poster, I posted this on the on the show notes and which I should definitely put it on the uh the the show oh, links. Oh, I'm but for it. <clears throat> it um oh. there's a Pegasus being ridden by some warrior, the one uh, Shia LaBeouf character is riding what looks like to be the eternal warrior that destroyed the Earth beforehand with uh, reins and holding his gun in the air. And another one of the warriors in the back. And then in the very back is Nausicaa riding her glider. So if you were to look at this movie, you if in 85, us at you know the ages that we were, we'd look at this movie and go, this looks friggin' amazing. And it's then you would get Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, which actually has nothing to do with anything that's going on in this picture. Um... The voice actors and actresses, when they recorded this, were not informed of the plot line. They just, what? Yes. They were not informed of the plot line, and, and the film was heavily edited to market it to children, and much of the uh, film's narrative meaning was lost, so the environmentalist themes were diluted, as long as the, and the subplot of the Omu, uh, and was altered to turn them into uh, aggressive enemies. Yeah, so just to clarify, what Mike's talking about is this is the re-release. This isn't what we watch. No, no, no. This is this right. is this no. is the the English fuck up is what this is. Um, they basically uh, cut twenty one minutes and fifty seconds from the original production. Jeez. So and took out all of it and basically sterilized it to the point where it's completely. I I actually have seen this and it makes absolutely no sense uh, at all, especially if you're familiar with Nasca. Uh, so Miyazaki saw it. And um, went back, and then when uh, Harvey Weinstein uh, got a hold of him to do um, Princess Mononoke, Mononoke, yeah, Mononoke, uh, to make it more marketable, Studio Ghibli's producer sent a, a katana to the <laughs> to the company just with a note that said "No cuts." <laughs> Good for them. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was like commit, commit, Harry Gary. Um, you know, it's interesting because it's still, that still happens today, though. I mean, just after we did our Berserk slash Attack on Titan show, I've started to kind of get back into anime, and I'm finding that that's still going on, like, pretty regularly with the stuff that's coming over here. And talking with my sister over in Japan, you know, she talks about it, and there's a lot of differences, so it's crazy. Yeah, it's like, I mean, there's this, there seems to be this, like asshole layer of producers that just thinks that American audiences are incapable of wrapping their minds around an actual like plot line 
Yep. Well, I mean, let, let's let's not you know say that they're so coherent of a storyline anyway. I mean, mm. I'm not for the you know dumbing down and and butchering of their you know, original source material, but I mean, the stories are not exactly you know. I don't know, ironclad. No, this is... I don't is... know. I agree with that because, I mean, they're different. They don't follow the very simple three-act structure that we've become used to getting our entertainment spoon-fed to us. And there are some issues with some of the early anime, but I don't know yeah. that I'd call them nonsense just because they don't fit the structure that uh, we've become used to for our big studio projects. Yeah. It's, I mean, <clears throat> it's just a different type of storytelling. So, well, let's get into the, the um, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, if you haven't heard of it before. It uh, originally started out as a manga and got turned into an anime by the same guy who wrote and directed it, uh, Hayao Miyazaki, uh, illustrated and did the comic and then turned it into a movie. And if you haven't read the comic, the illustrations are amazing. Very heavily um, influenced by the uh, artist Mobius. If you're familiar with him, very lots. Yeah, uh, there's also some very strong Disney influences here, uh, as opposed to other anime of the time. Like I think the animation style, uh, in <clears throat> a lot of ways, is better than you would be used to if you look at other contemporary uh, anime from 1984. Oh yeah, yeah. The animation in this is very detailed. Miyazaki takes you know great, uh, little great steps to make sure that it looks good. I mean, it's not going to be this. Uh, like cut and paste type of animation, especially the stuff that was coming out at that time, you know, outside of Disney and maybe some of Barbera. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like that whole type of thing. But, um, but no, uh, let me just quick to plotline the warrior pacifist, uh, warrior pacifist. Uh, she's, what, it, that almost fits her character because she does, she always charges into the fight, but only a couple of times does she ever, uh, use violence. And usually when she's forced to use violence because she loses her temper, she's horrified at her own behavior. Yeah. And pretty good at it. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, Nazca desperately struggles to prevent two warring nations from destroying themselves and their dying planet. Uh, it's a, it's a sum- summary of it, but there's so much more going on in this. Um, there's the, they basically, Nazca lives in this valley. The, the world has been destroyed in a, a war that occurred thousands of years ago, like a thousand years earlier, and has created this mold, I guess, that is growing across the world, and spores are traveling across and creating this poisonous jungle that is slowly covering the entire world. Now, you, everyone has to wear these breathers and masks to be able to even go near them, but Nazca and her family and her uh, tribe, I guess, live in this valley off the ocean where the wind comes in off the ocean so strong all the time to, and it just keeps all these spores from blowing down to the valley. So they're kind of like this little safe bubble. And they've learned to kind of make their peace with the poison jungle a little bit because most people are afraid to go in there because if you go in there and you enrage the insects, they just kill you. Mm-hmm. But they've learned to scavenge for materials to like rebuild their village, to make tools, to make uh, ships, gliders, etc. And Nausicaa herself uh, is has a different relationship with the insects that most people wouldn't even think most people are like, well, attempt to kill them or attempt to escape them. She has attempted to befriend them, basically. Mm-hmm. And right. try to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. And when we say insects, we're not like, oh, here's a, you know, a roach or a beetle or something like that. We're talking like bigger than your house. Yeah. <laughs> like giant multi-eyed creatures with tentacles and all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff happening. The ohms. That, that apparently slugs. That apparently what? That apparently speak and understand English. I don't know that we ever really heard them speak. No, it's just funny to me that she's always talking to them like they would uh, ever understand her. Well, how do you talk to your cat? I mean, do you speak in English or do you go meow, 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 meow? I don't really talk to my cat unless it's just well, a yelling her for doing why so. your cat is an asshole then. <laughs> like, and cat, get down. I don't have and conversations I, with my cat. I mean, I'm not oh, insane. See, I, I talk to my dogs all the time. I conversate with them. When it comes to the ohm, I think it's pretty clear that there is some level of understanding, though their form of communicating back seems to be more psychic. Like, they don't exactly know how to communicate with a girl, but when they're... Uh, they want to say they approve. Uh, they kind of link with her psychically, and then they uh, they wrap pro- up in their nose hairs. Yeah, and they project these calming images and a little girl singing, etc. Things that's like, okay, we don't know exactly what you're saying, but you're trying to get your emotions through your voice, so we're going to try and do the same thing back to you. 
And it was and really I, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of think like you... The, the, all the singing children voices, I was like, oh, this is really oh. weird. <laughs> I believe that you can figure out everything you need to know about Nausicaa's character from the moment she's there with the fox squirrel. And it's freaking out, and it's aggressive, and it's growling. And she lets it come to her, lets it bite her, and then recognizes that it's just scared and continues to be nice to it until it's, like, fanatically loyal to her for the mm-hmm. rest of the time. And then nestles in her bosom. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that sets up her character and, and defines her in a lot of ways. And I wanted to just go back real quick to the animation because it kind of blew past that. You mentioned earlier, Mike, the whole Mobius thing. And it really felt like that when I first started watching it. It had kind of that – it almost felt like heavy metal is the closest thing I could compare it to animation-wise. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff in heavy metal. And it did. It had a very Mobius kind of feel, yet it still – matched up with stuff of today and if you think of some of the the tv versions of what was going on i mean this is miles and miles beyond all that yeah and one of the things about um why there's such similarities between uh uh miyazaki's and uh girard uh mobius's um artwork which if you if you ever seen mobius's stuff he did a great uh series in the 80s on the silver uh, silver surfer comics and his his images that he draws are very line intensive. There's a lot of little short lines for doing it, doing um, all the shading and all that. I mean, you can definitely his stuff very well stands out. You can tell it from other people's stuff. Yeah, and it's also very similar to Miyazaki's style, which is lot line intensive. They they share that style, and they were actually really good friends to the point where Girard actually named her do- his daughter uh, Nausicaa. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I had no idea. I'm glad I came back to that. <laughs> So, uh, and in this anyway. movie, in the remake, uh, well, like I said, Miyazaki uh, did the comic and the screenplay, and we got American voices and some English voices to uh, to cover this. So, Nausicaa in the uh, redub for us uh, was done by Alison Lohman. Mm. Patrick Stewart uh, did uh. Lord Lord Dupa. <laughs> Fucking Shia LaBeouf did uh, Asbel. And Pat and I have something in common on this, but uh, Uma Thurman did Kushana. Mm. Uh, Edward James Olmos as Mito. He was so awesome in that part. He was. Agreed. Uh, also, uh, Chris Sarandon uh, also did... Um, Kurotawa. Kurotawa. And Mark Hamill did the voice of the mayor. And Tress McNeil uh, did Obaba. Thanks, Obaba. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was waiting which one of you guys would drop that. Every time uh, Kurotawa said anything, I just kept waiting for him to end the sentence with, or I shall be very put out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think all of us had the same reaction when Shia LaBeouf came on, because, uh, you know, you try to disconnect yourself from it and just get immersed in the story. But when you have that distinct voice pop in, it kind of... Well, and you have that reaction to that voice. Because yeah. when I first time he started talking, they're like, oh, we're trapped in this this hole underneath the trees. How are we going to get out of here? Just do it! You said you'd do it. Now do it. Call, call the Transformers. Well, I, I, I kind of wish I would have had like a, a, a subtitled version at that point when that happened. Well, and it doesn't help that his character, Asbel, is a little dickhead. Yeah, he is. So, Probably like, I guess cast. it was appropriate casting. Right. So, but yeah, but that, um, Pat, I did get yanked out of it every time he talked. Yeah, exactly. It's just a very punchable voice. <laughs> punchable <laughs> voice. Yeah. Pat's sitting on a couch in his living room, just swinging at the air every time he talks. <laughs> I'm going to hit you in the voice. You're like that cloud. <laughs> so, get off my cloud. What? Let's, let's go over what we liked about this, because uh, I think that one of the things that's really strong about Nausicaa is that it creates a very unique and well developed world with its own rules that uh, doesn't really borrow from other sources. It's not like an homage to something else. It didn't come from a book, whatever. And it, the world kind of makes sense. It has internal consistency. It's like the uh, this is what happened as a result of war. Another like Studio Ghibli theme, like the horrors of war and that killing is always bad and it's never worth it. You're going to see that through all of their films. Mm -hmm. And uh, it managed to get a sort of environmental message without like beating you over the head with it, which is something that uh, you look at uh, children's cartoons with an environmental message that were made by Disney. They are like Fern Gully. Yeah, Fern Gully beats you in the face with its message. This one, yeah, the message is still there, but I didn't feel like I was being hammered with it. Or Captain Captain Planet. Planet. Sure. I have the power of heart. (laughs) I have the power of tofu. I don't care. Check out my Birkenstocks. 
Um, so I, I don't know what else you guys noticed that was particularly good about this. Well, I mean, I think Nausicaa, for for all the like a little bit of preachiness that's going on in the whole the whole movie, which is very low key compared to this other stuff that we went on at this time and is going on now, um, a very likable character. I mean, Nausicaa is like you're, you're, she's a nice kid. You know, you, even when she's dealing with her father, when she's dealing with other people, when the, when the, uh, the ship crashes, her first instinct is to go in there and start saving people. You know, it's, it's a, her, her character has definitely has a purpose, has a, um, a drive. And an apparently an immunity to fire. Well, yeah, that too, you know. Well. Because they even made a point of animating, like, um, Asbel, like, reacting to the fire, and she's just, like, running through it all. <laughs> it was weird. Well, and her intentions are genuine and true. I mean, there's, there's no question that she, you know, she's, she just does it because that's the, she's the way she is, you know? Right. And it's uh, someone being an enemy or someone being out to get her. If that person's in trouble, she doesn't stop to think, Hey, this, this is a person who, if I just let this person die, my life gets easier. That never, she never hesitates once. She uh, is like, a person's in trouble. I have to help them because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Even when the other people around her are like, Why are you helping? It's like, Yeah. I, I have no choice. That's who I am. Yeah. I, I thought that was really cool and admirable. And I think that's uh, when we get to the second half and we talk about the protagonist, I think that's something, that sort of force of will and never questioning whether you should help someone that maybe doesn't have your best interest at heart. I think both of the protagonists in the films we're talking about today kind of share that. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think that's an admirable quality. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a nice quality in theory, but in practicality, it's not real wise. But I, I don't know. I, I like the fantasy story that says that that sort of behavior gets rewarded. And I think that that is a story that's worth telling. If if I want to see bad people doing bad things, I'm going to watch Game of Thrones or I'm going to watch Breaking uh, Bad. Yeah, see, something like that. I, I don't I don't want to spoil the second half, but I mean, I disagree that, you know, she got rewarded. We'll talk about I mean, I because like I guess we'll talk about it in the second half. OK. OK. <clears throat> but I, I, I my point is, is that I believe that there's a place for both kinds of stories. And I personally can enjoy both kinds of stories without focusing on like whether or not that's something that would necessarily be to the character's best advantage in every single situation in reality. I, I, I just don't think that that it's necessarily a good thing. To make a protagonist who is, is you know, I mean, yes, maybe pure-hearted, but is also just incredibly naive. I don't think the two, you have to be naive to be pure-hearted. I mean, why do you have to do things that are detrimental to everybody just because you're so pure-hearted? I mean, you could make a, somebody, uh, uh, you could make a female protagonist that is strong-hearted and also smart. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I, I mean, mean you're, in both of these movies, these women make decisions because <clears throat> they're, they're so pure-hearted that are really just not smart and... You know, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's kind of almost an insult to, for some of the things that they make the, their their lead characters do because they're like that's just not logical and, and it's going to end up backfiring and hurting everybody and you can see it happening. Well, I but, mean, look at her from this look at from the perspective of the situation that she's in. Her world is this valley. The world itself is literally dying. People are becoming scarcer and scarcer. They just got back with a uh, a lord um, Lord Yupa came back and he's like, look, these towns are dying all over the place. Humanity is on the verge of it extinction her reaction is going to be yeah you're an asshole but you're one of the few remaining human beings left you know yeah and is there no redemption possible pat i mean is that sometimes some sort of a a response like that could change somebody's intent and possibly bring them around to your side yeah yes but you but but i mean there, there there comes a certain point when you are someone that is more valuable to a society like like she is you don't sacrifice yourself for the for someone like a, like a, a you don't do a one on one sacrifice like the whole thing she's trying to do with that bug keeping him out of the acid lake or whatever. I mean, she's willing to sacrifice her own life to save this meaningless insect, and it's not a fair exchange. You got to think about the greater good at that point. Let the bug go under the damn acid lake, and you know, don't kill yourself. You know, well, and if if she bug. had if she'd listened to your advice in that situation, everyone would have died. Yeah, because what stops the ohms from charging is when the baby ohm like communicates, "Hey, uh, this person here who you and your rage just knocked out, she was trying. She sacrificed herself." to save all of them and she saved me 
Yeah, I understand that's how how the storyline worked, but I'm just saying, like the the actual moment of you know, it, if she was unsuccessful in say, in keeping him out of the lake, then they both die, and then you know, no, then nothing changes. Well, well wh- yeah. On curio- on curiosity, what's your take on Kushana then, Uma Thurman's character? Because she's the enemy, she's the one who's taking over this town, but at the same time, when the town is all holed up in this uh, submarine. She's like, wait, don't kill him. Don't know. I want to. I want to see what happens. I when uh, when uh, you know if she shows back up. When Nasca shows back up, Kushana's like, I want to meet her. I want to talk to her. I yeah, want. It seemed like they didn't know what to do with that character because she kept flip flopping all the time. Well, just... I think that she was reacting to the situation. Like she wanted to be a good person. She wanted to be more like Nausicaa, but she, she went through a lot of pain. I mean, lots of her body was destroyed by the insects. Yeah. And, and by the way, what is with like in 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 all these different movies, get people like getting arrested and they don't search you or like like strip you down or anything? Or like, oh yeah, we're just gonna leave you in your superhero gear and everything will be fine. <laughs> like, I mean, in in the Dark Knight, um, you know, they 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 search the Joker, but they don't take his makeup off or or you know, I don't I don't know, put him in in solitary or anything. And then this one, like, yeah, we'll just leave her in all her armor. That's fine. Well, I mean, it's I think it's made pretty clear that if you try to take off Kushana's armor, you're also taking off her arm and her leg. Right. Well, yeah, I and mean, then you got her flopping around on the ground. Too much. That's for sure. You know. Yeah, I, and that's just you, not you the think sort of prison. There's people walking around with AK-47s. I mean, there's a reason that you strip people down and take all their weapons and search them. And that's just not the sort of society that they have in the Valley of the Wind. I mean, they're led by Nausicaa, who I would compare to like a captain. America. Sometimes you need the pragmatic character who makes the tough decisions. You need the Iron Man. But sometimes you, it's, there's a place in storytelling for the character who says, no, we save everybody. I know it's hard. Heck, I might die doing it, but I don't care because this is what's right. And mm-hmm. I think Nausicaa is that sort of character. Ah, I don't want to hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't know. So, I'm, I'm running out of arguments now. So yeah. <laughs> all three of us are like, back off, man. <laughs> I'm a Ghostbuster. All right. So do you think uh, maybe we we'll take a little break and we'll go on to. Uh, well, let's well, talk about the problems with Nausicaa before we go to the break. I know we're, okay. we're running short on time because there were some issues. There was a lot of characters sitting around and talking about exposition. There was a lot of clunky dialogue, even uh, yes. uh, delivered by some great actors. I blame translation. Mm-hmm. I think there's just some translation problems in being able to effectively communicate a Japanese phrase to American audiences. And, and I, I think, honestly, that's what, why I have such a problem with Japanese animation, because it just seems like it's always very um, stilted and the, the pacing is off, the timing is slow, and conversation is just kind of awkward. And it just, I mean, I, I never, every time I try to watch some kind of Japanese animation, I, I, I never really get, um, I guess, comfortable, for lack of a better word. Well, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, some of the dialogue, like, I, I've been a pretty big defender of this while we've been talking, but that doesn't mean that I think that the movie was overall awesome. There were some problems. Like, there were scenes where characters were saying things that if you're not forgiving them for the time and you're not forgiving them for the translation, a lot of the dialogue is just like awkward and almost unlistenable. Yeah, because it's like you know, I mean, people don't talk like that to each other, <laughs> right? It's Thanks, suffered. Obama. It's suffered as a as a uh, result of the way that the dialogue was put together, and it did make it a weaker story. So, yeah, I, I liked this a lot, but I it's not an overwhelming like, oh my god, this was a life changing movie. It, it it had some issues. Oh, yeah. And I think most, I mean, I do agree with Pat on one thing that the pacing of the movie is just entirely lo- too much exposition. Let us figure some, some stuff out on our own. And, oh, God, what did this clock in at? Almost two hours. And I feel like every minute of it passed the, like, I, I was into it for like the first half hour, but once I hit the one hour mark, I was like, holy crap, we're only halfway done. Yeah. yeah both, both movies are a solid two hours. And, yeah. and I'm sitting there watching the time tick down and I'm like noticing, okay, there's like 20 minutes left, 15 minutes left. I'm like, like, how is this going to resolve at any, <laughs> right? I mean, and everything resolves in like the last four minutes. Right. Yeah. And that's, and the, again, this is, I want to say, Miyazaki's first movie? Like, first big... Yeah, this was his first big studio release, yeah. which is why it's considered the the first Studio Ghibli film. I Ooh. mean, it just, it just seems like this movie did nothing but build up and build up and build up and build up, and then nothing really happened. And, like, I mean, for instance, 
the entire movie they're talking about this um uh the the mo- not the monster the um what are the, the big heavy thing that was that caused the plane to crash the egg. oh the uh the warrior the ancient the warrior. warrior yeah thank you so they're, the whole time they're talking about this warrior and what are they going to do with it and who's going to take it and that's pretty much the driving force of like the 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 you know the the conflict and everything of why they're fighting each other because they all want control of this thing that landed in their valley and caused all this shit. And so, like, the whole movie, everybody's like, oh, the warrior, the warrior, blah, blah, blah. It's the ultimate fighting machine when it's ready and yada, yada. And then it finally, they, they, they're like, fuck it, we're using it even though it's not ready. And it does, like, you know, and it's on screen for, like, 30 seconds. And then it's just, you know, okay, then it's just dead. And, okay, done. And then everything continues on. I'm like, so there was all this buildup for this thing that they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't really make much of a difference after all. I'm sorry. Well, uh, it didn't make a difference because Kushana took it out of the oven when it was half-baked. Yeah. Right. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, you've spent the entire movie building this thing up. I mean, you're the one writing the story. You can change it somehow no they're just like yeah okay that was it was all just you know a big waste of time well pat i've been looking up some of the uh, miyazaki's other stuff and i found something else that he directed shortly after this in 84 that i think you might like it's called conan the future boy the big giant robots resurrection (laughs) just seems like right up your alley man that sounds entirely japanese (laughs) (laughs) well mirari shonen conan tobakatsu hen koyodaro giganto nofukatsu is the original title but i mean all right it's actually pretty good polish and japanese are his wheelhouse. apparently that's what i can do english but not so much can't say california <laughs> all right so and then, and then we, we you know i mean there's all this talk about what a great uh fighter lord yupa is and they barely even use him i mean like two little fight scenes and they're both like 30 seconds long yeah, yeah. But he did take over the entire ship that had the like the remaining army of the right and it would have been country. awesome to see him do more than just fight one guy and him go oh he's really good don't fight him <laughs> I, I would watch a whole movie about Lord Yupa. I would too. That Especially would when when uh, Nausicaa goes berserk and grabs the sword and she goes after the one uh, knight and he reaches up and blocks the sword with his forearm. Yeah, yeah. and, and then conti- stands there with the uh, thing, the blade buried like through his forearm, just stopping both of them from killing each other. And then has a conversation. So yep. badass. <laughs> so, all right. So, shall we move on? Take a quick break and then move on to uh, a little bit of howl. Well, yeah. yeah. Thumbs, up, thumbs down before we move on. Oh, we can talk That's about the that. End at the of the end. show. You want to wait, so, save it for the end? All right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when we come back from the break, uh, we'll be talking about Howl's Moving Castle, a much more recent Studio Ghibli release. All right. We are back from our break and going to talk a little bit about Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, came out in 2004. Studio Ghibli. More Miyazaki. Um, this is a story about an unconfident young woman is cursed with an old body by a spiteful witch. And her only chance of breaking the curse is to uh, hang out with a self-indulgent and insecure young wizard and his companions in his gigantic legged walking castle. I actually kind of think that uh, summary is sort of bad for this because I don't think it's clear when Sophie gets cursed that she is going specifically to Howl's Castle. In fact, uh, when she ends up at Howl's Castle and figures out where she is, initially she's just like, why did you lead me here? This is a terrible place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going with I am what IMDb said. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm not criticizing you. I'm criticizing whoever wrote that summary because yeah. it's kind of a terrible summary of... <clears throat> well, it's... Yeah. I mean, if you were give a once over to it, you know, she gets cursed and tries to figure out what the curse is, how to cure it type of thing. And just um, magically, the first place she goes happens to be the right place. Yes. Yeah. So, Hall uh, fan two nine nine three. That was a terrible summary. This was um, lots of great voices in this one. Uh, we have Sophie, who is voiced by Emily Mortimer, and then Grandma Sophie, who is voiced by Gene Simmons. Not that Gene Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, she's more metal than Kiss. Yeah. I, I, kn- I knew someone was going to say it Damn because it. <laughs> she was in Spartacus. She was in Guys and Dolls. She was in Big Country. Um, she uh old classic actress uh also mm-hmm. in this howl himself is voiced by christian bale who was uh, killing it yes it was so good okay if you were if you were to compare like like male hero type characters between um uh, shia and as shia labeouf as asbel and uh, christian bale as howl just it, it, it definitely night and day on this uh blythe danner is madame solomon Elmy Mortimer, I already said Elmy. Uh, Josh Hutcherson is Markle, and Billy Crystal as Calcifer the Fire Demon. 
Gina Malone is Letty, and Prince Turnip is Crispin Freeman. Uh, and uh, let's not forget, did you mention Lauren Bacall as the Witch of the Waste? Oh, yeah, totally missed that. Lauren Bacall uh, as Witch of the Waste, too, did an amazing, amazing job. Yeah, as... not to take anything away from Emily Mortimer or Gene Simmons, but, like, Lauren Bacall, Christian Bale, and Billy Crystal, like, stole every scene that they were in. Yeah. Sadly, Lauren... Well, that's what Billy Crystal does. <clears throat> yeah, Lauren yeah. Bacall died in 2014, still rocking it, what, 2010 when this came out? Yeah. Or 2004, so, but yeah. And I, I don't know that you could have had anybody but Billy Crystal do Calcifer. It was a good character for him. Yeah, it was. To just do his own voice and, like, he's this wacky fire demon. I think Eddie Izzard would have been interesting. Sure. Or Harvey Firestein, you know. Oh, come on, Howell. Do it. <laughs> I don't know what he says. I don't know if he's lying. Yeah. Uh, this was based actually on a British book uh, written by writer Diana Wynne-Jones. So it, it's got a very different feel from some of the other Ghibli properties. But I think uh, it has some of the same things we've come to see. Horrors of war. Strong female character who helps regardless of whether uh, that's in her best interest or not, etc. Yeah, the uh, the hero, the, I guess, kind of anti-hero even in this one. So you're not a, for a long while. You're not entirely sure where Howell stands. Is he like completely just doesn't care? You know, is that because initially you've got that where she finds Howell's moving castle. She's falls asleep, stays sleeps over and the by the fire. And the next morning, Howell comes back and he's like, "Oh, you're here. I guess I'll cook more breakfast then." Yeah, <laughs> it's just like well, yeah, nobody ever questions you know the fact that she's just gonna like be there in her life, like she's gonna be their aunt B. Well, and earlier on when she first meets him and, and her friend is talking about how, you know, he's going to take you away or something. I remember she made him out to sound like they're bad guys. Yeah, you're in a world uh, that is a very fairy tale inspired steampunk world where like witches and wizards are commonplace. Uh, there's this giant war of two kingdoms that is just in the background. But you've still got like the witches and wizards like moving pieces on a board. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my question: If if witches and wizards are commonplace and known and all that kind of stuff, how come when the king summons all of them, only two people show up? Like there's only two wizards, really? That's it? No, it's it's explicitly established that a bunch of wizards were uh, turned themselves into monsters as part of the war, and that uh, the king's advisor had a part in that there she was stripping them of their powers and turning them into like demonic foot soldiers for the war where how did i miss that I, i'm guessing weed <laughs> you're probably yelling at your cat get um, off my lawn clouds just some cool trivia about this one uh christian bale saw spirited away in 2001 and when they called him he said okay i'll be whoever you want he agreed to play any role in the film that makes sense. Yeah. They're like, all right, then you play uh, Sophie. Uh, Sophie. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> like, I am the knight. <laughs> yeah, he dri- uh, dipped into Batman character voice a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I laughed when he did. So, and then uh, Hayao, uh, Miyazaki and Lauren Bacall, when they uh, they met, they've been fans of each other's work for a long time. And reportedly, uh, Bacall asked Miyazaki if he was married. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yeah, I can see it. Bacall! <laughs> Uh, one of the things about this uh, film and the book it was based on, it's uh, also one of George R.R. R. Martin's uh, favorite fantasy stories ever, which is why uh, there's a nod to it in the uh, Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire. A uh, character named Howland Reed has a mysteriously moving castle. Ah, ah, there you go. A little bit of trivia. Very nice. So, um, if you guys yet unseen. Yep. So here's here's the the situation on this one. So Sophie is a very bookish, prim and proper hat maker. Is there a technical term for that? A hatter? Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> there you yeah, go. she's a hatter. She's a hatter. Uh, she's a hatterator. Well, I don't know if there's like a female. What's a female male version? I don't know. But well, she believes uh, she's not pretty, so she throws herself into the family business. Yes, and uh, is the pre- you know that makes the hats, and she's got her psychotic mother who goes traveling looking for new hats, apparently with cannons on them, and new husbands. Yes, and um, best as I can tell, her mother really isn't too concerned when she disappears. Yeah. Nobody's too well, concerned. No, no, you know what? I take that back because. Well, there's this weird, that weird thing that I will actually I'll just bring it up right now. When um, Sophie's mother sees her later on in the movie and she's old, her mother never comments on the fact that she's old, does she? Nope. No, and that's and it's weird until you realize that she was sent there by the king's advisor. Uh, what's her face? The witch. 
Madame Suleiman. Salmonella. Madame Salmonella. Yeah. Madame Suleiman basically is like, here's what's going on. Your daughter's uh, turned into an old lady and is in Howl's Moving Castle, and we need you to go to her. Okay. Well, that makes more yeah. sense. Though. And the entire time, like, she's talking to her. I mean, I thought it was kind of obvious what was going on, and I, I was waiting for Sophie to be like, you know, get out of here. I can tell what's going on. And she never did. And I was like, okay, well, that was weird. Because, <laughs> I, I, I mean, she was just such a bad, and the mother was just so bad at, at like, disguising what she was doing. Right. Well, I, thought they, I thought that story wise, they were, like, going to let Sophie figure it out, and they, and they didn't. I think Sophie's an awesome character, but, I mean, she isn't. Her main character, she's not dumb, but she is not especially intelligent where she's using her wits to get out of situations. It's right. more it's a force of built. will kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And from the beginning, we see, again, she's a character that helps all the time. Uh, when she yep. first encounters a, a scarecrow in the middle of the wastes, uh, she sets it up and uh, it starts following her around. She didn't realize it was enchanted. And it actually leads her to Hal's castle. Mm. And she... I, I guess pragmatic is the best way to describe her. Cause she's put, she picks up the scarecrow, turns around, sees him fall, and then she's kind of like, well, huh, I guess this is what's going on now. I mean, there's no like shock of anything that goes on around her. She's just kind of complete acceptance of everything at any given time. But then again, if you've just been turned into an old woman, yeah, you'd be like, well, I guess this is the kind of world I live in now. This is I'm, <laughs> here I am yeah. talking to the fire. She's she's looking for a way to break the curse that's on her, but I don't think she necessarily thinks it's ever going to happen. And she's making her peace with what's happened to her from the beginning, which I think yeah, was she, really she cool. She goes through the seven stages of grief like in in thirty seconds. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's the thing we were talking about the last round, which uh, Pat had issue with, kind of happens here again, where the person that made her old suddenly becomes uh, kind of a big part of her life, you know, that is in the castle with her and there the entire time, who's kind of had a reverse of fortune and kind of becomes this sweet old senile whatever. Well, yeah, thing. she gets all of her powers uh, stripped away from her. And I think that Sophie feels bad for her. Yep. It's like she's she's been punished for the way she lived her life and I can like let her live with us or I can leave her to die and she doesn't have to think very long about what she does and she ends up paying for that decision. Yep. Here we go. Well, I mean if she just if she why in the world would you bring on those two the the, the dog and and the witch? Like it makes no sense. And why would Howell just go, oh, we're bringing them? Oh, that sucks. All right, fine. Yeah, I mean, it's just... <sighs> <laughs> Pat. Stupid, bad, dumb decision that fucks everything up, and they deserved it. Well, the, but her, once again, she makes the decision, and uh, one of the characters betrays her, and the other one turns on its master. Like, the dog is responsible for her figuring out uh, everything by the end of it. Yeah. Like, what happened with Hal's heart? Why uh, the castle is able to move, and what she needs to do to save Hal and save herself. There's something wrong with that dog. <laughs> Yeah, that asthmatic, annoying dog. <laughs> the dog was cool. I mean, I say he wasn't cool, but I was like, "There's something wrong with this dog." Because every time, yeah, the dog call, you know, wants to go up the stairs. He can't. You know, he needs to be carried up the stairs. But it's, <laughs> just say "woof." <laughs> think the poor things are. <laughs> Uh, and you think somebody else in this in this world would be like there's something wrong with that dog man (laughs) take it to the bad at the end of the movie i'm just like would somebody get that choke toy out of its throat please (laughs) get that thing a breather i also think it's awesome that the main reason why he and the dog starts bonding with her is she's carrying it around because she thinks it's howl in disguise yeah right yeah and then howl shows up at the right time yeah and uh, there's also this weird thing with her curse where, like, she's, like, fighting her feelings for Hal, but when she starts to, like, forget that she's supposed to be pretending she doesn't love him, uh, she starts to revert back to her true form. Yeah, it's just a really weird curse. Like, the parameters of the curse make no sense. Well, we was, we were talking about that while we were watching it. Because different times where she's goes from being old to being young to being kind of in the middle. Right. It, our, deter, our guess at it was it's when she really has to take charge. When she really has to become confident in herself and she starts taking control of what's going on. That's when she starts reverting to back being young again. And like when, when, she, she's the, when, when she's more of the... Um, Less, when she's less passive about things. Yeah. yeah. She's owning up to her feelings and her place in what she's got to do. She becomes herself. 
Yeah. Which I think is a very fairy tale. Like the entire thing reminds me of a Japanese take on a uh, English steampunk fairy tale. I would agree with that. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't an easy watch. I mean, his his uh, his movies do go long. Hmm. I I think this one could have been. I mean, Josh, I know you have other uh, you know terminations Not. on this, but I think I think it could have been a little bit shorter. Huh? Yeah, I I didn't. Uh, this one where I felt every minute of the two hours of Nausicaa, even though I enjoyed it, this one blew by for me. I I uh, unqualified. I I know we're gonna get to thumbs up, thumbs down, but I think it's pretty obvious how I feel about this one. Hmm. Joel, what about you, man? Uh, are we on thumbs up, thumbs down? No, I want to know what you. I want to know your take on uh, on Howl. I mean, you have been kind of quiet on this one. I uh, I don't know. I, I had trouble getting into it, and as much as I tried it, it just something about it felt off to me. So I spent most of the movie trying to focus on what was going on, and um, ultimately, I mean. I enjoyed it and I like the, the, the kind of the steampunk aspect that we've come back to, but overall it, it, uh, it kind of fell short to me, whereas Nasca felt a lot more complete. This one felt a little bit more disjointed and kind of haphazard, which bothered me hmm. in my own personal opinion. And I don't mind that all the, the how, decisions how they made. Never, Pat. How come it was never explained why that kid lived in the castle? Cause he was his oh, Markle. Yeah, it's, yeah. He was the uh, apprentice. Yeah, yeah but I mean, like, he's just a kid that's living in the castle. Like, who is he? Is he, he the apprentice. What was he doing before he was the apprentice? Why, why, is this like, why do you need to know? Trump. Yeah, I kind of like the fact that there wasn't a bunch of characters standing around it with exposition and a big narrator well, I just scene. Exposition, but I just wanted to know who he was. I mean, Marco. Yeah, he's Marco. Yeah, he didn't even offer up anything about himself. To, he's know. Howell's apprentice. He, that's that's Marco. his role in the story. Uh, if you look back at the classic uh, fairy tales, you've got a lot of characters like that where there isn't a big developed backstory. Like at first when we find out that the whole reason for the war is because the prince of the neighboring kingdom disappeared and it turns out he's been the scarecrow the whole time. At first I'm like, whoa, that's that's kind of off. And then I, I thought about it. It's like, well, this whole thing's been a fairy tale. And that's what happens. The true love kisses the beast and it turns into a prince. And uh, that's the sort of story that's been told this whole time. If uh, if you've been paying attention, yeah. Mm. And it was just, I mean, there were, the thing that I okay. Uh, were you done? <laughs> oh, like yeah, I, I yeah, I'm done. You sure? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. The thing I didn't like about this movie was that that there was just no real Kelsey. internal internal consistency at all. I mean, it just there were no rules. There were no. I mean, I don't know. It just seemed like like everything was just lazy storytelling. I mean, it was just. They they had a general's good story in mind, and I I liked the the function of this. I mean, I I really did, but it just seemed like they took every lazy writer's um uh, what's a tool to get to those points. I mean, they they had like they had a good outline, and they just went, well, what's this? What's the fastest way to get to all these things we want to get done? Like, I mean, Howell's powers and abilities. I mean, they just. I don't know. They, they, they seemed like they were just never defined in any kind of way. He could just do whatever he needed to do for the story. He was a wizard. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it just I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I feel like if if your world is inhabited by this many you know people that could do this kind of stuff, I mean, there should be nobody in power but wizards for one. I mean, I you know who cares about a king when you know there are wizards? I mean. Well, and I think it's pretty clear that Madame Suleiman is the real power behind the throne. Like, she, I think she knows on some level that the war is kind of bullshit. Yeah, like, I would agree with that. And uh, that she is playing her own game and the king is one of her pieces. And she has been uh, basically taking out her competition. It's like, oh, all of these wizards, none of you are worthy of living in my world. And what she really wants more than anything is she knows some point she's going to fall from power. She wants to find her replacement, and she's selected Howl. And anybody who doesn't pass her tests gets stripped of their powers and turned into a monster. I think if the Witch of the Waste had not been rescued by Sophie, she probably would have been turned into a beast and uh, put into the war machine. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. tried to walk up another set of stairs and melting. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> that whole scene was just weirdness all around. Yeah, I mean, there was just a lot of this. There was a lot of what the fuck in this movie, and not in like the like you know the, the shock value type, the standard just, Japanese way. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it, it just I mean, and I just the whole time I was watching that, I was like, I. I was like, I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, I don't I think know. That's I, mean, the same I wanted I to that. like this movie so much. I really did because I love the concept. I love the. I, I mean, it was a beautiful movie. That I, mean, it, I, it was just. I mean, that was one of the things I heard about it. You know, it was just a gorgeous movie, and I agree with that. It was a beautiful movie, but I just. I mean, I felt like there should have been a lot more cohesion to the story. I don't know. I, I kind of feel that this to me felt a little bit like Dark Souls the game in terms of you've got a Western, a Japanese take on Western fantasy, and it does not spoon feed you anything. It, you know what's happening in the story, but you have to look a little deeper for why, because you don't have the moments you have in Nausicaa where there's a narrator that explains the world. You don't have characters standing around talking about the plot. You kind of have to think about okay why did this happen why why is hell turning into a monster oh well he gave his heart away to a falling star and a demon gave him power in exchange and i thought that was incredibly obvious by the way i don't know why it took her so long to figure that out but that's a whole other thing because wizards yeah, whenever <laughs> there's something like that you don't understand a wizard did it <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, I just there were just a lot of things about this. I I, I really did go into this movie wanting to like it, and I just I just didn't. Oh, yeah. I guess we're at that point already, huh? Looks sure. Like. Yeah. All right. So well, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. Pat, thumbs down. Josh, a reluctant thumbs up. I think I, I man, I, I I did like this movie, but I wanted to like it even more than I did. Okay, so um, I, I think for me, I went into it expecting to kind of be on the fence or, or on the, the, the don't like it side of the fence, but I ended up really enjoying it quite a bit. And so I'm going to give it a thumbs up. All right. I, I like, uh, I want to say 45 degree thumbs up for me. It's kind of like, eh. again, I just think the, it was, it was Miyazaki's first movie, like big big thing movie then i just think that he needed to learn a little bit more storytelling ability sure yeah if you don't make a couple of excuses for it there are a few places where it falls short i'd agree i think you and i are in the same neighborhood on how we felt about nausicaa yeah yeah i definitely agree with that i mean as i liked it i want i mean i remember seeing it before because it's i've i've watched before and it's been but it's been so long it's like yeah I, you remember all these brief moments that are of cool like the battle and you remember this and you remember the you know uh Lord what's his face, Lord Yupa doing this cool stuff and that sort of thing, but then you don't remember the transitions and it kind of condenses itself in your head. You know what I mean? What about uh, Howl's Moving Castle? Howl's Moving Castle, yes. Uh, well, we could start with me because I'm obvious. This is an overwhelming, unqualified thumbs up. Uh, it's going to probably be one of my favorites in terms of anime films from here on. Interesting. Yeah. I've always liked this one. Watched it years ago, liked it again. I think it's great. A thumbs up, Joel. Uh, I'm a thumbs down. Obviously, um, it's not like a like an overwhelming thumbs down. It's like a 45 degree thumbs down. Like <laughs> Jesus, but yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I wanted to like it, I, and I just I don't know. I just didn't. Did you like it better than Nausicaa? Yes. Okay. Well, that's something, Joel. See, and I'm I'm kind of in the opposite camp of that because I I wanted to go into this one liking it because I like the concept and the art and everything else that was going on, the cast, the cast, all of that. But I ended up just feeling really I don't know. It just was too. It didn't work for me, and so it's definitely a thumbs down. Need more tentacles. It was just it was Aww. it was too neat. There there's too many things that happened just for the sake of story. Like like why would you rush back to put the heart inside you know back inside of him? When it's on the top of a mountain, like why wouldn't you just say, "Oh, let's let's wait another thirty seconds and get to flat land or so"? I mean, like, like it was Wizard. just. Cre- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just creating drama for drama's sake, and, and, and so many so many times in this movie for storytelling sake and everything. And it, it just seemed it just seemed weak. Oh, you make me sad. Ah, <laughs> oh, sad panda. All right, so uh, what do we have on tap for next week, gentlemen? <gasps> uh, crap! I forgot what week it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's uh, going to be uh, episode D- 100. The D&D show. We are going to be at Gen Con, and uh, we are having the killer DM. Joe Eberino is coming out, and we are going to run We Be Goblins 2 uh, with with him. And Yeah, so for episode 100, it's a big show, and uh, D&D, I think, is a big topic for all of us. In one way or another, I don't think the four of us would have met without it, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, me too, and I think also I'm looking forward Nerd. to uh, you guys discovering why we call Joe the killer DM. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Where's my burrito? Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, we'll be recording out at Gen Con. And also, if you are uh, out there, definitely try and find us. We're going to be uh, hosting Instant Game Show and going to be doing a lot of cool things in the evenings, also some pickup games and that sort of thing. So, hey, Mike, this, hey, the show's going up after Gen Con's over. Ah, oh, shit. Well, <laughs> if you came out we to visit us, out. thank you for joining us. And <laughs> so Man, if you'd that thing like you to did look was into awesome. The, if you'd like to look into the past, the, the way Mike's having trouble, you can check out our archives at iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe. Who said that? Podcast. <laughs> a voice from July. You're a wizard! <laughs> uh, and if you'd like to leave us suggestions for other shows, you can always call our voicemail line at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yes, that sounds great. So, thanks for listening. <laughs> Whoa, what? <laughs> That was a dragon for Dungeon and Dragon. I don't know what sound a dungeon makes. Stop poking me. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't wow. know. That was much better. I actually like your uh, Velociraptor much better. <laughs> All right. See you next week, kids. Good night. Now leading the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Uh, All right, we're back and we're good. All right. <clears throat> Want to redo the titles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll count us down again. All right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh. Get the cup out of your mouth now. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to mute myself so I don't ruin the <laughs> chicken introduction, whatever. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'll be good. <laughs> I doubt it. I'm, gu- I'm very gun shy now. I'm like I'm very nervous about what's going to happen.